Um, okay, so um, I, I want to just give a little bit of background tonight, probably less background on the other nights. Um, and, you know, there's, this is probably stuff that some of you may know already, and you may even know more about it than I do. Please feel free to step in if you know something that, that that's more than what I know. Um, and um, if you have any questions also in this process, in this first 10 minutes or so of background. So, um, the Pali Suttas, Sutta is the Pali word for Sutra, Sanskrit in Sanskrit. So Sutra is the Sanskrit, uh, Sutta is the Pali. Uh, Sanskrit is like the scholarly language and Pali is kind of the common people's language. So these um, sutras are recorded in Pali and they're purported to be the word for word, you know, words of, the, of Shakyamuni Buddha, which were um, listened to by his attendant and cousin Ananda. Um, who had like a what's the I don't know what the equivalent of a photographic memory for hearing is, but um, you know supposedly remembered it word for word and memorized it and passed it on, and the monks kept it alive, passing it on generation to generation. I don't know how many people saw the movie Fahrenheit 451, but I always have that image of at the end the people are like each each person has memorized a book and they're wandering around reciting the book they memorized. So I always think about that. So anyway, when I first, um, so these are a very important part of the Theravada teaching and Theravada means old way. And you may be more familiar with the term Hinayana, which means lesser vehicle, which is kind of like the put down term from the perspective of the Mahayana, the great vehicle, they use the term Hinayana, but we're gonna use Theravada, which means old way and that's, you know, this way of practice supposedly that's been passed down from generations and is practiced uh, in a number of places, Southeast Asia, you know, and they still use these same texts as their, um, as their written literature. How, and, and the way when I first came, and many of you may know this, there was a feeling that, you know, the, um, these sutras are from the time of the Buddha, and then the Mahayana sort of a, came appeared like several hundred years later and maybe that is what happened but what um what we do know is that nothing was written down until about 400 years after four or five five hundred years after the buddha there was no written language so we really don't know they were both written down kind of at the same time so we really don't know when the mahayana is from it could be from some time later after the Buddha, it could have been something that was around at the time of the Buddha, you know, but what, what we do know is that it's, it's always sort of uh, refers to the Pali scripts, it refers to the, to the Theravada teaching. Um, it's sort of like always referencing it and kind of bouncing off of it and the, some of the characters um, that you find in the Pali scriptures end up being characters in the uh, in the Mahayana scriptures. Um, and also the other thing that has come to light recently is that some scholars feel like there's evidence that the Pali is like was revised over the centuries, like elements of Hinduism and elements of other uh, Indian literature kind of, I mean, uh, teaching or understandings kind of crept back in. 
So this feeling that we used to have when I started that these were somehow like, if you're reading the Pali, that was word for word what the Buddha said, um, has been undermined a bit by scholars. And um, so everything's a little bit less solid than, you know, what I used to understand and maybe what, what we used to, some of you used to understand. Okay, so um, back to this Theravada Mahayana, I'm going to share the screen again. Back to this. And I'm going to go down to, okay, so here we have the two branches. We've got the Mahayana literature and the Theravada. It's called the Tripitaka. Tripitaka means three baskets. And I've got a detail of the Tripitaka below. But what I wanted to say is, so um, over here in the Tripitaka, you know, so like we read the Heart Sutra and the Heart Sutra refers to the five skandhas, you know, form is emptiness, emptiness form, the same is true of feelings, perceptions, impulses, and consciousness. Those are the five skandhas. And um, they're over here, along with other things that the Heart Sutra refers to, like the 18 dhatus and the 12 fold chain of causation and the four noble truths. Those are all things over here on the Theravada side. And the Heart Sutra, so what the Heart Sutra is kind of saying is, the, well, what these people are saying is, you don't have a self, what you have is five skandhas or 18 dhatus or a 12-fold chain of causation. And these people over here are saying, you don't even have that. <laughs> That's why we say no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, etc. So the Mahayana is, 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 is like a response to this um, Theravada teaching, often. And of course, it goes way beyond that and becomes much more cosmic. But even in the cosmic books, some of the characters will show up, the, the you know, Shariputra, Sabuti, uh, various people will show up from that we know about from over here. Any questions so far, just please unmute and ask because I can't really see the whole screen while I'm sharing. Lori, I have one quick question about the Heart Sutra. Wasn't another thing that it was sort of revolutionizing was not only do you not have a self, nothing has a self. Yes, yes. Okay. Right. Good point. Good point. These things are all empty. So like when in one version, you don't have a self. Instead, you have these things. And then he's saying, no, these things don't exist either. They're not any more real than a self. They're just they're just ideas or concepts, you know schemes schemas okay i Laura, don't you think it's that that that's kind of already what was being said with the original teachings in the old way it was just re-emphasized in a new kind of more sophisticated for that time because you know culture had had developed and people were were mistaking things and, and taking for concrete all of these elements to existence which we were which were only there for us to see through and recognize is not actually existing. No one actually said the skandhas existed. The skand you meditate on the skandhas in order to recognize that they don't exist. Right. Yeah. But and so it, it, needed, right. kind of, it needed it needed revision. Not that it wasn't already. It, it's kind of just in, in spirit of the original teach, kind of re reinvigorating, maybe. Yes, and people have different feelings about that. Uh, we have a friend who's a Theravada teacher, Santikaro Bhikkhu. Uh, he's not Bhikkhu anymore, but anyway, he says everything in the Heart Sutra you can find in the Pali 
canon. So, um, yeah, so that's that's another thing that's sort of up in the air here in this conversation that we're having here to, in these classes. Okay, thank you. So the Tripitaka, the three baskets, includes the Vinaya, which is the discipline Pitaka, the Sutta Pitaka, and the Abhidhamma, which is, Abhidhamma is like the compilation into a cohesive doctrine, all these teachings that the Buddha just sort of gave in response to different people. He gave different teachings in response to different people. And so they later on tried to make that into a, a cohesive system. And that's the Abhidhamma. It's pretty much like commentary on the suttas. Um, and in the Sutta Pitaka, which is what we're looking at, um, there's five groups of books. There's the long, and it's they're sort of like somewhat strangely collected, not by topic, but by the length of them. You know, so there's the long ones, the middle length, the connected, which I think is might also be the numeric, might, might be another name for that. It's like all the ones, all the twos, all the threes, all the fours. And then the the Anguttara is the book of gradual sayings. And then this is uh, another book I'm much less familiar with. And if it, people want to pursue this after this class, I recommend tackling it from the Majima Nikai, the middle length discourses. If you want to just explore on your own, um, I found them to be kind of the, mo the most accessible, although not all the ones we're doing in this in this class are from there this this time. Okay, any questions about the Nikayas, which is the word for these five sets of these five groups of suttas. I'm going to try to use the Pali word sutta suttas, but sometimes I might forget. Okay, then I'm going to stop the share again, talk a little bit more um, about the Buddha and how the Buddha comes off in these in these uh, suttas and you know he's going to come off differently to different people but but generally some people have a hard time with the way he comes off so I just wanted to bring that up and sort of fluff that up a little um, you know he's he comes off as kind of pedantic a little bit ponderous very repetitive in some cases a bit misogynist and above all, you know, to our ears, very dualistic. He, I mean, he's not afraid to say, do this, don't do that. And um, he, uh, he generally uses the language of skillful and unskillful or wholesome and unwholesome rather than good and bad or right and wrong. And, you know, I was even thinking, um, Thinking about skillful and unskillful, I was wondering if we could even think of it almost like as careful and careless, perhaps, you know, this is the way to be careful. This is kind of careless, this other way to do things. Um, and, you know, of course, so our Zen, our Zen teachers were steeped in these teachings. They had access to the Pali literature as well as other Mahayana literature that was already had come into being in translation in Chinese, but they also had this Taoist sensibility, um, which is sort of like, <laughs> to some extent, it's a little bit like, uh, if you try to do good, you're going to probably do bad. If you try to help people, you're probably going to cause harm. So there, you know, there's kind of a feeling 
in Taoism of like, just let things be, let things go as they go, you know? And so that was kind of the, in the background, I think was one of the reasons why we're so, um, the emphasis on not, of course, the Buddha was very much into non-dualism, but he also was not afraid to call out things that were, you know, basically, like I said, skillful or, or wholesome versus unskillful or unwholesome or careless. Um, I was, while I was preparing for this class, I caught sight of this book that's been lying around on our kitchen table. It's a perfectly good book. I'm not criticizing the book, but with my, um, you know, the title of the book is, in, I think it's Enlightenment is an Accident. And with my sort of poly, poly sutra glasses on, looking at that, I was just like, no, that is not anything the Buddha would ever say in a million years, I don't think. Enlightenment, I mean, what they're talking about when they talk about enlightenment being an accident is this kind of sudden experience, this can't show that we might have some momentary experience of opening or insight or dropping away of the self, but that's not what Buddha is talking about is what enlightenment is, which is a much more wisdom and insight based thing that you get through cultivation, you know, so um, I'm not sure how the, and I sort of fell into that a little bit with my enlightenment stories from the Pali Canon, because these are also stories of, a, of momentary kind of openings that people have. Um, but anyway, enlightenment, I would say wisdom is not in, in the terms of Pali Canon, it's not any kind of an accident. <laughs> so um, they're, and they're very much about cultivation, cultivating an insight and wisdom, which can help us with our choices and help us to move in more wholesome directions. Um, now we know Suzuki Roshi was all about no gaining idea. And as we heard Paul, those of us who went to Paul Disco's talk on Saturday, he said, he said, you know, Suzuki Roshi's main teaching is don't make two. That's what I think. That's what I remember it being. So, um, and you know, but, but Suzuki Roshi also said, we, pra we do Hinayana practice with Mahayana mind. So or in my terms, we do Theravada practice with Mahayana mind. So I think that this tension around the non-dual and the gaining idea versus cultivation and all that is part of a, is the subtext that we're working with here in this class. So please feel free to bring up your questions about that or about anything else. Um, now there, I just, there are just, I just wanted to point out that there's a couple Pali suttas that are well known to us. One is the Metta Sutta that we chant quite often. We sort of revise the wording. It's really kind of a list of shoulds. The disciple of the Buddha should do this, should do this, but we change it to may I do this or may we do this, something like that. But it that's, a, that's one of the Pali scriptures. And also the Satipatthana Sutta the four foundations of mindfulness is um, pretty well known, well aired Pali Sutta that, you know, and I always recommend this, what I think is an excellent book of Thich Nhat Hanh's called Transformation and Healing, which is his commentary on the four foundations of mindfulness. So I put that on the, for those of you who access the Google Doc, I put a link to that on there. So uh, for me, one of the things that I, really respond to 
in these Pali scriptures is the way the Buddha um, always is very respectful of his his uh, auditors. Um, you know that radio show. I was listening. I heard this. It's little that radio show. Philosophy talk has this motto. It's like the show that questions everything except your intelligence. And so I feel like that's kind of the Buddha. He questions everything except our intelligence. And um, that's particularly coming out in this sutra that we're going to read tonight, the Kalama Sutta, to the Kalamas. So I will share uh, my screen, another document, and I, I'll, maybe I'll read the first couple paragraphs. Let's take a pause after every paragraph. And since we're sharing, I won't be able to see your raised hand. So if you have, we'll take a pause if anybody has a question or a comment. I have a comment I want to make after a couple paragraphs. And then we'll, I'll call on you guys. I'm going to use, I'm going to call on the people who have their, who have their cameras on. Um, and we'll take turns reading maybe a paragraph at a time. And I also want to do, there's a few paragraphs that are like a conversation between the Buddha and the Kalamas, this group of people. And I thought it would be fun if we had two people for starters, one person playing the role of Buddha and another person reading the Kalama portion. So let's try that see they're little dramas you know little dramas so um any questions before i do the share thank you thank you for your listening how's that for size is it good okay good okay very so this is the Anguttara Nikaya which was I already forgot which I think that's I'm just gonna you're not gonna be able to see this but I'm gonna quickly go back over there to that that's the gradual sayings um okay are we back can you see it now okay thus have I heard once the blessed one while wandering in the Kosala country with a large community of bhikkhus entered a town of the Kalama people called Kesaputta. The Kalamas of Kesaputta heard it said, Reverend Gotama, the monk, the son of the Shakyans, has, while wandering in the Kosala country, entered Kesaputta. The good repute of the venerable of the Reverend Gotama has spread in this way. Indeed, the Blessed One is thus consummate, fully enlightened, endowed with knowledge and practice, sublime, knower of the worlds, peerless, guide of tameable people, teacher of divine and human beings, which he by himself has through direct knowledge understood clearly. He set forth the Dhamma, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, possessed of meaning and the letter and complete in everything. He proclaims the holy life that is per perfectly pure. Seeing such consummate ones is good indeed. Okay. Then the Kalamas of Kesaputta went to where the Blessed One was. On arriving there, some paid homage to him and sat down on one side, some exchanged greetings with him, and after the ending of the cordial memorable talk, sat down on one side. Some saluted him, raising their joined palms and sat down on one side. Some announced their name and family and sat down on one side. 
Some without speaking sat down on one side. So I understand, I think we're getting a clue, for me, we're getting a clue here that these were a group of a varied people. The group of the Kalamas are people who are coming at this from a bunch of different ways. Some may be super respectful, some a little less respectful, some not, you know, not wanting to drink the Kool-Aid or whatever, something like that. You know, some people cautious, some having all these, taking all these different approaches to meeting the Buddha. Um, and that's that's actually somewhat unusual. Most of the time in a in a sutra, in a sutta, you see the people paying homage to him and sitting down to one side, and that's kind of where it where it where they leave it um okay the the kalamas of kesaputta sitting on one side said to the blessed one there are some monks and brahmins venerable sir who visit kesaputta they expound and explain only their own doctrines the doctrines of others they despise revile and pull to pieces some other monks and Brahmins too, Venerable Sir, come to Kesaputta. They also expound and explain their own doctrines, the doctrines of others they despise, revile, and pull to pieces. Venerable Sir, there is doubt, there is uncertainty in us concerning them. Which of these Venerable Monks and Brahmins spoke the truth and which falsehood? Does anybody feel some kinship with this, <laughs> with this question and problem. Okay, so I'm going to read one more. Um, it is proper for you, Kalamas, to doubt, to be uncertain. Uncertainty has arisen in you about what is doubtful. I love, so that's where I'm saying the respect is coming in, you know, he, so he's basically telling them, good question. You have, you're having uncertainty about something uncertain. You're having doubts about something doubtful, you know. And to me, this is where he's being very respectful and, and he's being really careful not to do the same thing that they're telling him these other people did, which is lay out his own doctrine and say it's right and all those other people are wrong, right? So he's, he's treading very carefully um, and, uh, and he doesn't always, but in this case with this group of people, He's treading carefully and, and to my ears, you know, very respectfully. So he says, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration that monk is our teacher. Kalamas, when you yourselves know these things are bad, these things are blamable, these things are censured by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to harm and ill, abandon them. Okay, so now let's move on to the dialogue here. So um, just going from the top of my screen, Karen, do you want to take the Buddha role? And Paolo, do you want to take the Kalamas? Sure. I'll be Buddha. What do you think, Kalamas? Does greed appear in a man for his benefit or harm? Let's try to, and let's try to do person when we can. Oh, okay. 
does greed appear in a person for his benefit or harm or harm? For his harm, venerable sir. Kalamas, being given to greed and being overwhelmed and vanquished mentally by greed, this person takes life, steals, commits adultery, and tells lies. They prompts other another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their harm and ill? Yes, venerable sir. Let's do the three. Let's do six and seven too. Okay. And then we'll pause. What do you think, Kalamas? Does hate appear in a person for their benefit or harm? Uh, for his harm, venerable sir. Kalamas, being given to hate and being overwhelmed and vanquished mentally by hate, this person takes life, steals, commits adultery, and tells lies. They prompt another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their harm and ill? Yes, venerable sir. What do you think, Kalamas? Does delusion appear in a person for their benefit or harm? For his harm, venerable sir. Kalamas, being given to delusion and being overwhelmed and vanquished mentally by delusion, this person takes life, steals, commits adultery, and tells lies. They prompt another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their harm and ill? Yes, venerable sir. Okay, that might be a good place to take a pause. Um, any thoughts, anybody? Lori, this is Sue. Hi. Hi. Will that be long for their harm and ill? What does that mean? That it will last a long time or have huge consequences? That's what I, that's, yeah, that's what I'm taking it. Will that cause, will that have the consequences of harm and ill for a long time? Yeah. But do people at the time actually talking this very repetitive way? He, he, so he's got the three poisons here. What we think of as the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. He's laying them out here. And he often is speaking very repetitively and i think that's one thing that is is an aid to memorization so when this was first spoken the monks were memorizing so there's a lot of rep repetition and patterns language bat patterns um but that's definitely the flavor of these sutras yeah right laurie for like 500 years it was just an oral tradition so something it was like that yeah something like that i like that the buddha ask the question and never confirms. Yes, I know. <laughs> he, he, and he's, you know, again, he's, he's talking to these people who've come to him really, I would almost say traumatized by this thing that they've been caught in trying to figure out which of these teachers that has come through and preached to them is, is the tr true one, you know? And so he's being really careful not to say anything really. And um, that's part of the beauty of this sutra. Now people call it, sometimes call this sutra the sutra of free inquiry. And you know, other people have, you know, when I've been reading about this, like that's going a little bit too far. Like he's not just whatever, whatever you, whatever you verify for yourself, you know, he's he's guiding them, he's coaching them, you know. He's not just saying, okay, leave now and and you know, find out for yourselves what's true. He's he's doing a lot of 
guiding but again he's he's asking them he's he's saying what do you think you know and he often will do that in a sutra especially um these ones that are for um non his not his monks like the lay people that he comes across what do you think he'll say and he's and in that way that's part of what i mean by the respect that comes across to me okay back up to um number four i think is the criterion for right when you were reading that it really reminded me of Soden a lot, like just sort of saying, you know, don't believe anything I say. You're like, try yeah. it out, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, you know, it just sort of has that flavor. Mm-hmm. And then there's the these things are censured by the wise. So that's almost like, well, what does that mean in terms of, you know, not not going upon repeated hearing or tradition, you know. I mean, it's not that categorical. It's okay to have people you respect who's thinking you respect. And if they would censure it, you know, and how do you develop respect for someone? Not just because they keep saying the same thing, not just because they're your teacher, not just because it's a tradition, you know? So um, it's very much on us to figure out what's censured by the wise you know that's also a line in the metta sutta i think there's something in there by you know what the wise would reprove right yeah and i also thought that this line in the beginning about doubt and uncertainty you know like it's good for you to have that you know that he's saying you know be doubtful be uncertain yeah yeah don't be afraid of that uh huh. And I think in this case, because if we have time at the end, there's another sutra where someone asks a similar question and he does not say that. <laughs> so it's interesting. He's, um, but I do think he's basically saying, you are justified in how you're feeling. You know, you, if this upset, if this is upsetting you, what these, you know, hearing these things, that's justified. That makes sense. That's, that's what, that's what you, that's what people do feel in that situation, you know. Okay. This is, this is Natasha. I was gonna oh, say hi, Natasha. Ever, hi. If you've ever read any of the like Socratic dialogues, this sounds like very, very similar to that. Oh, really? Fact, I haven't. Right? Uh-huh. Like, you know, yeah, like Socrates asking a question like like these, right? That are kind of leading questions, but um, kind of getting you to that place without telling you what to think. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. Thanks for bringing that in. Okay, so now let's get a couple other players in our little play. Um, I think we're on eight. Uh, so how about how about Natasha? You popped up because I think because you unmuted. How about you and Susan? You, uh, Natasha, why don't you take the Buddha and Susan? Why don't you take the Kalamas? Yes. Um, okay, number eight. What do you think, Kalamas? Are these things good or bad? Bad, venerable sir. Blameable or not blameable? Blameable, venerable sir. Censured or praised by the wise? Censured, venerable sir. Undertaken and observed, do these things lead to harm and ill or not? Or how does it strike you? Undertaken and observed, these things lead to harm and ill. Thus, it strikes us here. Uh, Therefore, did we say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Mm -hmm. Therefore, did we say, Kalamas, what said, uh, what was said thus, 
Come, Kalamas, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration. The monk is our teacher. Kalamas, when you yourselves know, these things are bad, these things are blamable, these things are censured by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to harm and ill, abandon them. Okay. So then he's going to say that all over again. Let's have another. Chloe, do you want to read the uh, criterion, the number 10? Okay. Come, Kalamas, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, nor upon species reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration the monk is our teacher. Koamas, when you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed. These things lead to benefit and happiness. Enter on and abide in them. I wasn't sure what specious meant, so I just looked it up. <laughs> it means superficially plausible, but actually wrong. Mm. Plausible, but un un not based on anything. Okay, so we heard those criteria again. Now we're going to go through the absence of greed, hate, and delusion. And let's see. Uh, Can I just say something? At, sure. At that time when Chloe read that, it really struck me that this is really saying study the self. Aha, uh -huh, interesting. Say a little more about that. Well, he's just saying, you know, dig deep. And if you find this, then pay attention. And if you find this, then pay attention. Uh -huh. You get to all, you know, the end of all that study and you realize this is not a good thing, then don't do it. Yeah, right. And he, you, feel like with, you realize and, this is really wholesome, then uh -huh. follow that. You uh -huh. know? And it's sort of look within, but not separate from what is uh, praised by the wise, you know, so it's not totally looking within. And, and it's kind of like, Put, put, putting it to the test of, of reality of, of, of experience, right? Like totally. to back on what Susan's pointing at, like, and, and, it, and it runs really deep as much as it seems like it's obvious enough to get on the, on the surface of it. Cause it's very easy to, to think, oh, I've a notion that has been pondered over. There are so many things that seem like this should be what is correct or what is right. But when tested against reality, it's not. And yeah. I think a lot of people have made that kind of mistake. And it's another one, it's, it's when you've seen those who have been tested by the fires, the wise, um, bearing witness to something, and then you yourself bearing witness to it through experience. Well, and, and it tracks with the Buddha's own experience as well. I mean, he, he chased after shiny things when he was a prince. He went and did a bunch of ascetic practices and didn't come up with anything. And it wasn't until he sat and found, found what he was really looking for in himself that that he went out and taught. Um, so it's, you know, he's not saying anything that he hasn't done himself to, to your point. 
Yeah, good point, right. Very good. And something about this bias toward a notion that has been pondered over like that, maybe that's not what he means, but I keep thinking, if you've held the belief for a long time, you know, there's almost like this sunk cost fallacy where you it's harder to let go of it's you've got your identity bound up with it. Right. And so so that's like you have a bias towards something that you've been thinking for, you know, believing for a long time. Don't go by that. OK. Where are I, 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 I got a little did we start? We haven't started this yet, right? We're going to new speakers. Um, okay, Ron, Fulani, can you see the screen? Are you okay? Do you want to be one of the speakers? You got to unmute to tell us what you think. Oops, um, you got to there you, unmute. I just left the class where I did a lot of reading, and my head is throbbing right now. Okay, we don't we don't want to make that any worse no. than it already is. Thank okay, you. how about Sue? Oh, oh wait, I don't think we need two people. Do we? Oh, yeah, we do. We need two people. So how about Ron? Do you want to be the Buddha? And Sue, do you want okay. to be Kalamas? Okay. And unmute. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Which, which paragraph? We're which starting paragraph? on 11. Okay. Um, what do you think, Kalamas? Does an absence of greed appear in a person for their benefit or harm? For their benefit, venerable. Whoops, whoops, that's oh, I'm sorry. Part. It's okay. For their benefit, venerable sir. Kalamas, being not given to greed and being not overwhelmed and not vanquished mentally by greed, this person does not take life, does not steal, does not commit adultery, and does not tell lies. This person prompts another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their benefit and happiness? Yes, venerable sir. What do you think, Columbus? Does absence of hate appear in a person for their benefit or harm? For their benefit, venerable sir. Columbus, being not given to hate and being not overwhelmed and not vanquished mentally by hate, this person does not take life, does not steal, does not commit adultery, and does not tell lies. This person prompts another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their benefit and happiness? Yes, venerable sir. What do you think, Columbus? Does absence of delusion appear in a person for their benefit or harm? For their benefit, venerable sir. Columbus being given, not given to delusion and being not overwhelmed and not vanquished mentally by delusion, this person does not take life, does not steal, does not commit adultery, and does not tell lies. This person prompts another two to do likewise. Will that be long for their benefit and happiness? Yes, venerable sir. Thank you. I like how he brings in the part about prompting others too. Like it's not just the person themselves. Um, but he, it's what you encourage in others by just your actions and choices. I, I really like how he brings that in. Any other comments? Are we seeing the beginning of the precepts taking form here or is? Yes, the first four, right? That's, that's pretty much the order that we find them in. And you get the feeling these are like the real, <laughs> 
then they I kept adding more, you know, but um, these feel like the core, the four, the core four somehow. To me anyway. Um, other any other comments? It's interesting that the motivation seems to be for the person themselves to mm -hmm. to be benefited and be happy. And yeah, would have imagined that the motivation was more for other people for the precepts. Right, and that could be related to the critique of these early scriptures that they're more about individual cultivation than about saving all beings. You know, however. Uh, you know, we do need to start somewhere. And um, yeah. Well, and there's that line, the person prompts another to, to yes. do likewise. And that's sort of left open like that could mean, you know, just modeling. Yes. Any number of things, teaching, modeling, right. I mean, he never it's never just this isolated person it's it's also about you know in the in the part about the criteria it's the you know re, you know what the wise reprove and then so you're always in a society of people and affecting each other you know you know it, I, I don't know the early suits as well enough so i apologize but and I, it was something i was i was hearing in audible the the great disciples of the buddha um which is directly from the Pali Suttas. And he overtly states, he, he compares um, in the way that he says it more than once, you know, the person who does all the spiritual work um, only for themselves, are they superior to the person who does all the spiritual work and who does it for themselves and for the benefit of others? And then he very clearly states, oh, you know, the person who does this for themselves and for the benefit of others is clearly superior to the practitioner only doing it for themselves. So it's mm -hmm. almost like the seed of, of Mahayana. Yeah, yeah. I really would, I would love to know exactly, you know, what that conversation was like and how the Mahayana came into being. And, uh, you know, just somewhat mysterious, but also makes perfect sense. And I, I know you're right that that's what many people say is that everything and that's kind of in a way what I think that uh, Suzuki Roshi's pointed to that we're like we this is the practice that we do we do that practice that these people do. But we have this mind of big 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 mind, you know. And he's not saying Buddha doesn't have a big mind, I think they are saying Buddha has a Buddha, Buddha you know, in other words, be like Buddha don't don't do <laughs> don't do what he said do what he did, you know, um, which was care about other people right. care about his how he was landing on other people so okay now we're going to need another pair let's say how about ann and alex and do you want to be the buddha and alex do you want to do the kalamas okay. oh you got to unmute you're talking but we're not hearing you I see your mouth moving. Are you able to unmute yourself? It's in the lower, it's usually in the lower left. It says it's a little, little microphone and if you click it, there you go. Now, oops, there you go. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. So okay. Now we have to go back to the, to the shared screen here. There. Oh, I, oh. Okay. 
You got All it? All set, yes. Okay. We're on 14. Okay. So you start. What do you think, Kalamas? Are these things good or bad? Good, venerable sir. Blamable or not blamable? Not blamable, venerable sir. Censured or praised by the wise? Praised, venerable sir. Undertaken and observed to do these things, do these things lead to benefit and happiness or not? Or how does it strike you? Undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness. Thus, it strikes us here. And there, uh, there, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and finish. Therefore, did we say, Kalamas, <clears throat> what was said thus? Come, Kalamas, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration the monk is our teacher. Columbus, when you know your, when you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness. Enter on and abide in them. Uh, and you know it's interesting. I so we now we've had the three poisons. We've had the five, first four of the five grave precepts. Um, but I have to say I don't. I've never heard that there's any other sutra where he lists these things that you don't go upon. And I could be wrong, but I've never. So this is like a rare thing. Whereas many things he repeats over and over in many sutras. This is something that. You know, and this this is this thing about an appropriate response that we have in Zen. He's talking to these people and meeting them, you know, where they are where and what they need. So um, there's our skillful means right there. Lori, that, that, can I say something? Yes. The, the other thing that just, it feels so clear in this sutra to me, how much the precepts, for instance, are common sense. They're not a should. They're like, yeah. think it through, you know? It's, yeah. Anyway, it's just, so when you think it through for yourself and you look at results, it it makes sense how to be. And that the precepts are like, and this, someone said this recently about Dogen's teaching that the precepts are less a list of shoulds and more a description of how Buddhas act. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the way he says it, it just it seems so straightforward and simple. And, and so kind in a way. It's like yeah. you know this, uh -huh. you know yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. How does it strike you? What do you know? Yeah. How does it strike you? Okay, um, we're gonna go now to the four, what we think of as the four Brahmaviharas, the four unlimited um practices. And we're gonna have a new Miriam, do you want to be now I think that I think this is all the Buddha from now on. So Miriam, why don't you do a couple paragraphs and then we'll and then you know go ahead and do a couple paragraphs. The disciple of the noble ones, Kalamas, who in this way is devoid of coveting, 
devoid of ill will, undiluted, clearly comprehending and mindful, dwells having pervaded with the thought of loving kindness, one quarter. Likewise, the second, likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth. So above, below, and across, they dwell, having pervaded because of the existence of it, of all living beings everywhere, the entire world, with the great, exalted, boundless thought of loving kindness that is free of hate or malice. And I think, so with this, yeah, this thing about the quarters is like in all directions, what we think of as, you know, all throughout space and time, we could say, or, you know, the 10 directions. Um, so this is the loving kindness. Mm -hmm. Right. The first of the four Brahma Viharas. Viharas, right. Why don't you do one more? Okay. They live having pervaded with the thought of compassion, one quarter, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above, below, and across they dwell, having pervaded because of the existence of it in all living beings everywhere, the entire world, with the great, exalted, boundless thought of compassion that is free of hate and malice so it looks like um compassion and loving kindness yeah. is free of hate and, and malice. i just the first time saw this phrase having pervaded because of the existence in it of all living beings having pervaded because of the existence in it of all living beings I'm just going to take a quick minute and look at the other translation, if people wouldn't mind me doing that. I, I didn't open it up, but I, I think you won't be able to see anything for a sec. I wonder what that, I'm not sure what that means. Pervading. With the awareness imbued with goodwill, thus he keeps pervading above, below, and all around, and everywhere, and in every respect, the all-encompassing cosmos with an awareness imbued with goodwill, abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility, free from ill will. So it doesn't have that phrase, because of the existence in it of all living beings the existence is it the same as the existence of all living beings in it <laughs> anyway we'll leave that an open question unless someone has a thought right now i have a question yeah um, about what i didn't quite catch what the one quarter two quarters three quarters four quarters means i think it's the the 10 you know like east one the direction of the north the direction of the south, the east, and the west. That's where I'm going with it. I think in all space, in all directions, above, below, and all around. Yeah, I, I heard you say that. I just don't get it from one quarter and two yeah. quarters. But, one yeah. Fourth, okay. yeah, one fourth, like it's a big circle, like a big pie. <laughs> like the universe is like a big pie, and you're taking a quarter of it. 
but that's in one plane. So yeah, and I, if you want, I can just quickly see what Tanisro had to say about about uh, that directionality of it. He keeps pervading in the first direction at the east, as well as the second direction, the third and the fourth. So it is, yeah, it's the directions. Okay, let's move on to Daniel. Um, you, we're gonna do, you can do these next two paragraphs. Um, starting with the four solaces? No, above that, he lives, this one, it doesn't have a number, but right here. Okay. He lives having pervaded with a thought of sympathetic joy, one quarter, likewise the second. Likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth. So above, below, and across. He dwells, having pervaded because of the existence in it of all living things, everywhere, the entire world, with a great, exalted, boundless thought of sympathetic joy that is free of hate or malice. Okay, I get it. It means because the, the, because of the existence of all living beings in the universe, it's, it's about the living beings, in other words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's pervading it, he's pervading the, the living beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Is it, the, yeah. is it the living beings pervading or is it the four Brahma of a heart? I think it's the, I think it's this, the, I believe it's the sympathetic joy. He's pervading, he's pervading it in the whole world because it's full of living beings. I, I thought it might've been the, the Brahma Viharas themselves also. Yeah having pervaded because of the existence in it of all living beings. They exist in the Brahma Vihara, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that it is that the Brahma Vihara. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like according with it. According with what's already happening in a way yeah. or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Joining. In the other translation. Joy that everything's in. Yeah. In the other translations, thus he keeps pervading above uh, everywhere, right? And in respect, in every respect, the all-encompassing cosmos. So it sounds yeah. like there might be a little bit of both, right? Both the Brahma uh -huh. Vihara and the everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, one more, Daniel. But before you go on, can we discuss sympathetic joy? I've heard that talked of as empathetic joy instead of sympathetic joy. Huh. And okay. other, other than that, um, it's the meaning is joy, is joy in other people's joy, but is this also joy in your own joy? It could be. And in fact, what Somatera first had was he had gladness. He didn't have sympathetic joy. I changed it because that's uh, the one that we're used to hearing and that I kind of like the practice of. But yeah, I think it's um, joy in another's success, mm -hmm. and also joy in your own too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. That. Yeah. First, first when I heard it, I only thought it was for other people, mm -hmm. but then later I read somewhere that it's your own joy is mm -hmm. important too. It's yeah. not just other people's joy, mm -hmm. that and you not feel just success, about. but right, but but um, yeah, joy. Just joy is good. In flowers and stuff, right? 
So doesn't it seem like it's almost like joy in what is good, like joy in what is wholesome? It could be. I don't know if that's uh, in there. We could, yeah, we could, yeah. It, it, it's pervading. It pervades. Uh-huh. These are like these four unlimited practices that, that, uh, and this, you know, this, this shows that they've gone all the way, they're going all the way back here to, to the Buddha. And I think actually they might've been something before. I think Alan mentioned that. I'll have to ask him. They, um, it was something that to some, to some formulation of that was already sort of around those four things. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can Go I ahead. say something? It oh, yeah. Seems like, um, you know, the thought of sympathetic joy, let's see, of all living beings everywhere, the entire world. I mean, think about that. That's like, there's no need for competition when that is there when that uh -huh. is present it's to me it just gives this wonderful image of cooperation yeah and it, it's like what what i think the other flip side of what miriam was bringing up is it's a false dichotomy you know that there's joy in ourselves and joy in the others just another one it's just a false dichotomy it's the same joy you know it's the same joy but if you're if you're if you're happy for another person's success or whatever you want to call it you're not focused on this small self uh-huh you're bringing that it's coming outward isn't it well and it's also many 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 more reasons to have joy <laughs> than if you just wait for your own <laughs> yeah good point the, the odds are very good that you will be able to have joy this way <laughs> And doesn't it seem like maybe these traits, these things are, are, are wisdom onto themselves? Like, um, uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I know Plato had said, and I, I thought it was, you know, I think I'd, I'd heard it years ago and just overlooked it and didn't think anything of it. And then in the light of Buddhism that, and it's really simple. Virtue is knowledge that, you know, and kind of, that genuine virtue in itself, just by having that virtue, is is proof of of, of real wisdom. It can or, be. I mean, you know, I think that's where you it sort of becomes an open question about whether your virtue becomes something, you know, little nest you make for yourself or some ground you're standing upon that puts you above others and such. I mean, there's there's some traps there, but yes. Okay, I didn't mean to shut you down that I hope I didn't feel like I shut you down or something. Um, I think it is. It, that's what kind of that's what Karen was saying that that Buddha's just we, we follow the precepts when we're with our true self. That they we naturally behave in a certain way when we're connected to our true self. So yeah. Okay, so now this, this is the beginning of the near the end but there's a whole nother big section here which is a whole new topic so i don't know if anybody needs a bio break or anything do we want to take a three minute break or anything or should we you just want to quickly read the equanimity one? Oh, oh, i'm sorry that's for daniel yeah i'm sorry daniel go ahead i got distracted he lives having pervaded with a thought of equanimity one quarter likewise the second 
likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, and across. He dwells, having pervaded because of existence in it, of all living things, everywhere, the entire world, with a great, exalted, boundless thought of equanimity that is free of hate or malice. Right on. Okay. Well, I'd like to say something about equanimity. Please. Um, I went to a retreat decades ago with Christina Feldman, and she said that equanimity, the fact of having equanimity shows your wisdom mm -hmm. and how evolved you are. I don't know if she used that word. I don't think so. Um, where you are in your practice, like more equanimity means more maturity in your practice. And that was such an aha moment for mm -hmm. me. I had never heard the word used before at our Zen Center in equanimity. Mm -hmm. So I just think that such an important focus of what mm -hmm. our practice is about so yeah i mean for me i've experienced it more the more i try to connect with things the way things are rather than <laughs> whether they're the way i want them to be or not i mean the yeah. more connected I, yeah. I am to things as they are the more equanimity i have for sure right right yeah sometimes well, the more we can let go, yeah. the more equanimity mm -hmm. we have right. and accept. So accept things as it to, is. To me, it's it's been a goal kind of since I know we shouldn't have any goals or aims, but yeah. um, a way I can feel that my practice has grown is if I have more equanimity. So yeah. And again, circling back to yeah, the gaining idea versus yeah, just what naturally unfolds. Um, okay, so now we, I think we have time to finish it if we take like a three minute break. If anybody, does anybody really want that? Please speak up yes. now. Yes. yes. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Excuse me, should have muted myself there. I can't even see myself to mute myself. Oh, well, there I am. Lori, how did you pick these particular passages to work with? Uh, well, somewhat, I would say somewhat haphazardly, maybe. I mean, this is, this is, of all the sutras that aren't famous, this is probably the most famous one. Yeah. And I wanted to, um, I'm limiting myself to a certain set of sutras that where there's a, 
almost always a lay follower or followers who have this dialogue with the Buddha. And by the end, they have kind of like had this, you could say, enlightenment experience. And there's a certain way that's always phrased at the end, you know. So all the ones we're going to study have this certain phrasing at the end. And um, I mean, this is just a really great sutra. And some people feel like they take it, people take it too um, freely, like the Buddha is really giving everybody carte blanche to just figure it out for yourself. And I don't, I think it's pretty clear that, that he's not doing that in his skillful way. You know, he's definitely giving, he's giving them a lot of guidance in this very, loose kind of skillful uh, you know skillful way so um and then the next one i want to do is i mean i want to do you know he does a lot of stuff on karma he does a lot of uh talks on karma so we're going to do one of those and then i haven't totally decided on what the third class will be but i have a couple ideas Or just to go back more on the break, I, I, my understanding was always that the Metta Sutta is not actually a sutta, that it's sort of misnamed. Huh. Have you heard that before? No, but um, I'm just going to go quickly while we're waiting for people to come back to Access to Insight and see. You know, I, I guess I'm guessing it's part of a longer one. Like, Zen, I know another Zen center that has renamed it the Loving Kindness Meditation to sort of like not sort of give it the status of a sutta. Uh-huh. Interesting. I'm well, curious. I don't know. Metta means loving kindness. Right. So it can be metta or loving kindness, but um let's just take a quick look here. Sorry, you probably can't assume you can't see what I'm doing. Karyana Metta Sutta. The Buddha's words on loving kindness. I think it's Amuta Nikaya 108. Yeah, I think so. Discourse, there's another one, the discourse on the advantages of loving kindness. I'll try to look into that a little, or you could look into that. Um, there's a link to, if you go to the Google Doc, there's a link to this access to insight, or you can just Google it. Um, it does seem to be a Karaniya Metta Sutta. Seems seems to exist. Well, I'll take some homework. Okay, great. That'd be great, and you'll let us know. Back. Okay, let me go back to our. Can everybody see it again now? Okay, let's see who hasn't. Rich, have you? Did you? You did, right? You, Not yet. You haven't go. And why don't you go ahead and do a couple paragraphs here? Sure. The disciple of the noble ones, Kalamas, who has such a hate-free mind, such a malice-free mind, such an undefiled mind, and such a purified mind, is one by whom four solaces are found here and now. Suppose there is a hereafter and there is a fruit result of deeds done well or ill. Then it is possible that at the dissolution of the body after death, I shall arise in the heavenly world, which is possessed of the state of bliss. This is the first solace found by them. Suppose there is no hereafter and there is no fruit, no result of deeds done well or ill. Yet in this world, here, here and now, free from hatred, free from malice, safe and sound and happy, I keep myself. This is the second solace found by them. Go ahead. 
Suppose evil results befall an evildoer. I, however, thinking of doing, think of doing evil to no one. Then how can ill results affect me who do not who do no evil deed? This is the third solace found by them. Suppose evil results do not befall an evildoer. Then I see myself purified in any case. This is the fourth solace found by them. Mm. Uh, okay, so let's pause there. So what do you think? Mm. 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 I really like that he addresses like, sometimes bad things don't happen to bad people and it, it you know, and that's okay too, right? Like you're, that's not changing um, the results of your actions, right? That's not changing your karma. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, he's sort of saying, well, you know, maybe there are karma, maybe there's, you know, he's not, again, he's not browbeating them with some doctrine about cause and effect here, you know, which he does in other sutras. <laughs> but he's saying, you know, he's giving them this, okay, it's a logic, it's kind of a logic puzzle or something, you know, if there's heaven, you know, then maybe good deeds will get me to heaven. If there's no heaven, then at least here and now, good deeds keep me happy, you know? If there's karma, if if evil results befall an evildoer, then it's, it's good of, not to do them. It's kind of Pascal's wager for Buddhism, right? Yes, okay. yes, <laughs> exactly. Tell us about, I love Pascal's wager. Tell us what Pascal's wager is. Um, so basically, Pascal's wager was like, if you are betting on whether or not, you know, there's a God, right? He's, he's talking in the context of Christianity, yes. right? Like what's the worst that could happen if you bet on the existence of God and like, you know, live, live a godly life, right? The worst thing that would happen is you have a, a good life and then you die versus if you, you know, if you say, well, God doesn't exist and you choose to live like an ungodly life, right? Like there's all kinds of negative repercussions that could result. The worst one being that if there is in fact a God, you will go to hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's pretty, yeah. It's like, you might as well bet that there's a God because if there isn't fine, nothing bad's going to happen. But if there is, it would be better to have bet on that side. Yeah, it's good. And it's, and it's very much like that. This one is. It kind of reminds me of uh, my daughter and believing in Santa Claus. She's kind of at that age of maybe I do, maybe I don't. I may uh -huh. as well. <laughs> what do I have to lose in a way, right? <laughs> I'll be good. I might get the goodies. <laughs> okay, let's, we got it. We got 15 more minutes. So I think that's pretty much it. And then he's going to go over this in a couple different ways. Um, so let's go ahead and finish. Let's see. Um, Julianne, want to read a couple? <clears throat> okay, is this start with the Disciple of the Noble this, Ones? Yeah. Um, the disciple of the noble ones, Kalamas, who has such a hate-free mind, such a malice-free mind, such an undefiled mind, and such a purified mind, is one by whom here and now these four solaces are found. Right. So, mm -hmm. The only thing I noticed, I just noticed that we lost greed. I wonder, you know, it's what hate and malice are kind of, it was before we had the pattern of greed, hate, and delusion. And mm -hmm. now we've lost the greed, we've added hate and malice, and we have a purified mind. Anyway, that's interesting, kind of, vaguely. Uh, okay, um, and Julian, why don't you do one more paragraph? So we got, now we've got the Kalamas. Um, so it is, blessed one, so it is, sublime one, 
the disciple of the noble ones, venerable sir, who has such a hate-free mind, such a malice-free mind, such an undefiled mind, and such a purified mind is one by whom here and now four solaces are found. Okay, and then Tim, I don't think you've read yet. Sure. Maybe you can read to the end. As far as on my screen, everybody else has their camera off. So Suppose there is a hereafter and there is a fruit, result of deeds done well or ill. Then it is possible that at the dissolution of the body after death, I shall arise in the heavenly world, which is possessed of the state of bliss. This is the first solace <coughs> found by him. Suppose there is no hereafter and there is no fruit, no result, of deeds done well or ill, yet in this world here and now, free from hatred, free from malice, <clears throat> safe and sound and happy, I keep myself. This is the second solace found by him. Suppose evil results befall an evildoer. I, however, think of doing evil to no one. <clears throat> then how can ill result affect me who do no evil deed? This is the third solace found by him. Suppose evil results do not befall an evildoer. <clears throat> then I see myself purified in any case. This is the fourth solace found by him. The disciple of the noble ones, venerable sir, who has such a hate-free mind, such a malice-free mind, such an undefiled mind, and such a purified mind, is one by whom here and now these four solaces are found. Okay, and why don't you just go ahead and take take... And sure, no problem. Marvelous, venerable sir, marvelous, venerable sir, as if venerable sir, a person were to turn face upwards what is upside down or to reveal what is hidden or to point the way to one who is lost or to carry a lamp in the darkness so that those who have eyes can see forms. So has the Dhamma been set forth in many ways by the blessed one. We, Venerable Sir, go to the blessed, blessed One for refuge, to the Dhamma for refuge, to the community of bhikkhus for refuge. Venerable Sir, may the Blessed One regard us as lay followers who have gone for to Him for refuge <clears throat> excuse me, from this day forward for life. Great. Okay. So, um, <coughs> for the last paragraph has been, is kind of like my... Um, what do I want to say? I mean, I'm looking for sutras for this class that have this same repeated ending, which is like sort of the signal of them having what we could think of as an enlightenment experience, I think, or, or an enlightenment or a, a insight, experience of insight. Um, any other thoughts or comments in the last few minutes? I'm going to stop the share now unless somebody doesn't wants to do something with the text a little longer. Um, this is Sue. Oh, hi. Uh, I realize I haven't really looked at what solace is and what that means yeah. in, in life. Uh -huh. um, well, it's kind of I like refuge. I think it's sort of like refuge or comfort or, or things that, you know, because I have to say, I, at this point, reading the man, the, the person who goes, who does these deeds and finds solace. Uh-huh. And it doesn't register. You don't, you're not getting solace. You're not finding solace. 
for you. Uh, it's okay. about an intellectual, sort of mildly interested mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that could change at any moment. As yeah, we that's a good question. I'd like to know how other people feel about that. And I'm going to stop the share. Yeah, what do you think? Do you find sol is this solace to you? The idea that, well, if there is, if there is a hereafter, if there is future lives, you know, it's worth it to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live my life with that in mind, you know. Um, and if there is, still worth living my life with that in mind. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that that's still worth it part is what seems more interesting to me. Um, the, the first part of all this is really seems to me to be about trying to figure out what's true. And the point was made by, by Sue and, and other people that uh, he seems to be saying to go inward. Um, and, and I think there's a very nice sort of parallel toward the end talking about the solaces. Uh, maybe there's some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but, but if there isn't, then, then um, I really like this line. Um, uh, I keep myself, um, and so we get uh -huh. we get sort of self knowledge up top, and something like self actualization or or even self care down below. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I'm guessing. I mean, this popped into my mind. I'm guessing that one of the things that these teachers that it's sort of you know that these teachers that they heard before are saying is what's going to happen to you after you die? Maybe you know. They're saying, um, yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like someone telling you that you're going to go to hell or something, you know, um, that's, that's what they've been working with is, is these people who've been these, had these definitive answers about this. And so he's saying, look at it this way. We don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, um, Here's a way you can still here's a way to look at that, you know, so Julianne and then Karen. Yeah, I, um, I see the concept of solace working here and just a sense of um, an actual like immediate reward in the sense that when you're committing adultery and lying and all that kind of stuff, like it makes your life really complicated, you know? <laughs> and when you don't do those things, you have solace because your life is just less complicated. So I don't know. Uh-huh. More That's immediate. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Karen? I was thinking that whether or not the things he's offered as solace are solace to me, the fact that what he's offering is solace is very, very sweet. Uh -huh, it's like, uh -huh. instead of coming down with, well, what this is true and this isn't true. It's sort of like, here, let's help the situation where you are, which is this disturbance or this trauma of uh -huh. having gotten all this confusing messaging. Uh-huh. And then he yeah. brings in this logic, but again, it's so kind. It's kind really. logic. Yeah, it's very, it's not like cold heart, what we think of cold hard logic, right? His, right. his logic is always really kind and respectful of the person and their intelligence, you know? I just find, yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, I wanted to show you just as another example, like we've got a couple more minutes, there's another, um, Sutra, which I need to quickly open. I'm just we're just going to do the opening because it's it's interesting in that it's the same 
Um, damn, where is it? Oh, here. Um, it's almost a little bit like the same question, but it's from two Brahmins. So, um, and I went, I'm just wondering if that's part of why he answers them differently, like a kind of class, class consciousness or something. So um, I'm going to share the screen again. And um, this is just this sort of question that the, that the, that they have, and then the Buddha's response is all we have here. Um, so I'll just go ahead and read it myself. So this is the Brahmana Sutta to two Brahmins. Then two Brahmin cosmologists went to the Blessed One and on arrival exchanged courteous greetings with them. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, they sat to one side. As the, they were sitting there, they said to the Blessed One, Master Gautama, Purana Kasapa, all-knowing, all-seeing, claims exhaustive knowledge and vision, he says. Whether I'm standing or walking, awake or asleep, continual unflagging knowledge and vision is established within me. He says, I dwell with infinite knowledge, knowing and seeing the finite cosmos. Yet the Naganthan Nataputta, the all-knowing, all-seeing, also claims exhaustive knowledge and vision. Um, whether I am standing or walking, awake or asleep, continual unflagging knowledge and vision is established within me. I dwell with infinite knowledge, knowing and seeing the infinite cosmos. Of these two speakers of knowledge, these two who contradict each other, which is telling the truth and which is lying? And so here's the Buddha's response. Enough, Brahmins, put this question aside. I will teach you the Dharma. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak. <laughs> So that's just proof that he doesn't answer everybody the same way. It is a slightly different question. Uh, it's I think the Kalamas really expressed their emotion about it, you know? They were professional cosmologists. <laughs> right. <laughs> and those two teachers that they referred to were among the teachers that the Buddha studied with before he finally mm -hmm. said none of this is working, you know? Mm. And there are a number of sutras. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a sutra mm. next do a sutra next week that is connected to the mm. Nataputta. So we'll find out more mm. about them. Mm -hmm. Okay, my dears. Any last words from anybody? Mm -hmm. Oh wait, we've got our closing chat. Oh my god. Closing chat. Okay, now I have to share that other screen. <clears throat> Got it. So this is the four vows that we chant at the end of things, but this is Thich Nhat Hanh's translation, which I really like as a chant. And I just, by the way, I don't want to say, I'm not trying to critique the chants that we always do, which I, are wonderful. I'm just doing it for a little ref refreshment, doing these different ones just as a sort of refreshment. So, I mean, I would be fine if we want to do the cacophony for this, you know, just everybody unmute and say it. The thing that you don't want to do is don't wait to try to go with somebody else. Just launch. Don't try to listen to someone else because then you'll always be lagging behind them. So just well, hear me and just launch. Okay. However, immutable beings are, I vow to meet with 
Sojin would be so proud. <laughs> okay. Oops. Stop the share. Okay. And say good night. Okay. Good night, everybody. We'll be meeting you next week. We're going to be talking about comma, which is this Pali word for karma. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs>